This Boss Barista episode is brought to you by Ernex. If you've worked in the coffee industry, you probably know Ernex well. You've used their products to clean your equipment. You've attended an event that they've supported. You're probably even using Kefiza at home to clean your pots and pans. One of Ernex's latest advances is a range of environmentally friendly cleaners called BioCaf. BioCaf products are made entirely from plant and mineral-based ingredients and are fully biodegradable. They're available for both commercial and household coffee equipment, so you can use them at the cafe just as easily as you can use them at home. But Ernex is doing more than just making eco-friendly cleaners. They've partnered with people like me and several other coffee professionals to highlight some of the best sustainability efforts in the industry with the BioCaf Sustainability Series. I'm super excited to be part of this initiative and to have another platform to share my thoughts on topics like sustainability. Visit the Ernex website to read my recent piece on Onyx Coffee Labs switch to oat milk in their latest cafe and learn more about BioCaf by visiting www.ernex.com. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. When Frankie Volkema and her father, Tim, decided to become Q graders, they couldn't have guessed how much this single course would influence their future. The Q grading certification is a coffee tasting test, and it's meant to standardize how coffee professionals taste coffee for things like defects, flavors, flaws, and it helps these people make growing and buying decisions about coffee. Frankie, at the time, was 13 years old. The Q grading course is notoriously difficult, and at the time, she would become the world's youngest Q grader. She's 15 now. She still holds that title. But the Q grading class also introduced her to a very important fact about coffee, that the average age of a coffee farmer is somewhere in their mid-50s. And if we don't make coffee viable for young people to pursue, then the future of coffee is in jeopardy. Frankie and Tim started Hoven Coffee, a line under Tim's existing coffee brands, Shul Coffee and Sparrows Coffee. Hoven Coffee showcases coffees from young producers. All of the farmers that Frankie and Tim work with are under the age of 35, and together they've created a totally new market for these coffees. Buying coffee from Hoven means directly supporting the next generation of farmers. And in an industry that easily veers towards the esoteric, think tasting notes that maybe don't make sense or aren't very easily accessible, Finding ways not just to bring forth important issues like the average age of farmers, but finding ways to present these facts that's easily digestible for drinkers is absolutely critical. Here are Frankie and Tim Volkema. So every now and then we have more than one person on the show and we have two people joining me today. So I was wondering if we could start by having Frankie introduce herself. Yeah, so uh, I'm Frankie Volkema. I am the youngest Q grader in the world. Um, I became a Q grader through just spending a lot of time uh, working with coffee. And um, yeah, I we did that as like a, 
as a bonding thing to become curators together, me and my dad. And he can probably tell you more about like Shul and our coffee companies. But I'm also the founder and brand ambassador of Hoven Coffee, uh, which is a line under Sparrows Coffee. And then Tim, if you could take it from there. Sure. So I'm the the owner of Shul Coffee, Hoven Coffee, and Sparrows Coffee. And I got into the coffee business almost five years ago. And I, I came in through an acquisition of Shul Coffee, which is a 40-year-old um, coffee company that was started by Gary and Gladys Shul. And I have just a kind of boring business background before that. <laughs> I think it's it's funny that you say boring, but I'm like, what what did you do before? I'm happy to go into it if you want. I I would I would love to hear that. I think I think those things are super interesting to me. Sure, sure. I came um, into coffee directly from uh, Amazon, actually. So that was my most recent employer prior to uh, coffee. And um, so right out of undergrad, I went into like finance consulting. So I did mergers and acquisitions for Deloitte. And then I went back to business school at Kellogg, uh, which is Northwestern's business school just outside Chicago. And then I went to Kraft Foods for five years. And then I started uh, with a partner, an Indian version of Chipotle. It's called Casa, K-A-S-A. That's in San Francisco. And that still exists. My partners now own it and operate it. And then I uh, went to Amazon. And then we moved back to Michigan for family reasons. My uh, wife's family and my family are both from here. So we both grew up here and then left for a long period of time and came back. And then that's when I uh, was looking for uh, my next thing and, and just looking at a bunch of different opportunities. And Shul was the right kind of company at the right stage in its transition. And it just sort of worked out. And I'm super grateful that it did. I'm eager to hear both of your different experiences with this question. This is a question I ask almost everybody when they come on the show. So I'll start with Frankie. How, what was it like growing up with coffee in your life? Like, do you remember coffee from a young age? Um, I think my parents have always drinking coffee since they were, um, you know, since I've been alive, but I never really paid much attention to it. You know, it was just always like an adult drink. I never tried it really until my dad bought Shul coffee. Um, and then, you know, I was around it a lot. I um, just heard about it a lot and my parents started to get really into it and like looking at different uh, origins and like, different levels of coffee. Um, so then I just learned more about it through like kind of eavesdropping and just being around Shul. And there are a lot of posters up on the walls about like where coffee comes from and how to like produce coffee. So I kind of learned through that and that pretty much sparked my interest for coffee. Um, so I didn't really know much about coffee or really cared about it until around like sixth grade, around like uh, age 11. But then after that, my interest for coffee really grew. And I uh, started to learn a lot more about it. And you're sort of trapped at shul because yeah. <laughs> it was like a like a babysitting thing. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't get anywhere and you had to watch me. So and you became the youngest Q grader at 13. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Did you pass the Q exam the first time? Um, so in the first week that we were there, I passed all the tests except for one of the cuppings. So then I had to go travel like a couple months later to a different class to just pop in and retake the cupping, uh, which is like a coffee tasting. And then afterwards, and so then that's when I passed the Q. But yeah, it was like a couple months later than the first, first class. That's wild. That's so cool. 
Um, we'll come back a little bit more to how you two started taking the Q grading exam together. But Tim, I was wondering if you grew up with coffee in your life. Not really, to be honest. My parents were never big coffee drinkers. And I don't think, I'm always amazed at how young people nowadays get into coffee. Like, I don't, I don't think I had my first cup of coffee till after college, actually. And so, and I distinctly remember it was at a Starbucks in Chicago because it was right before an interview that I had coming out of college. And I was like, I should probably, I'm like an adult now. I should probably like <laughs> try this, you know? And so, yeah, it, it came to me later in life. And then as I lived in these other like larger, bigger cities, um, obviously there was like a really amazing coffee shop on every corner that started to, that, that third wave coffee um, movement was, was taking place as I was getting, you know, through my twenties and thirties. So I got really into coffee as a consumer, but really didn't know anything behind the scenes, right? I had no idea what scoring was. I really didn't know why I liked what I liked. I just sort of went with, um, I just tried a bunch of things and I was like, oh, I think I like Blue Bottle. I mean, like, but I couldn't have told you why. Mm -hmm. I think something that you said, Frankie, that's really interesting that I want to go backwards a little bit on is, so Tim, you buy Shul and obviously you have, you know, your, your, your kids around. Um, I was wondering what it was like to have a coffee business, but also have a family and have children kind of like grow up in that business, because I don't think that we have a lot of examples of that in the coffee industry right now. So I wonder what it was like for you to almost maybe have like this business that's maybe not a family business, but at the same time, you're like, well, this is my family business. Like they're always here all the time. Um, and people like the people around me are growing up around it. I Yeah, it was really, I guess it would have been any kind of business that we were in, it was just our circumstance that we have three kids and, and they all have different schedules. And so we used the the business as like a dropping off point where, you know, Frankie would come after school and, you know, she would do homework and whatever and watch Netflix. And at some point though, we were doing a cupping and, and I was like, why don't you just try this? And, and I think you said, I don't think I want to. <laughs> and then you did though. And you, and you, and you were really good at it. Like that's what, so we, we, we were working with, um, a, another person, uh, David Poole. He's a longtime coffee person, um, lives in LA and he was helping us. When I first came into the business, I recognized that I really didn't know anything about coffee and I better get smart about this. if I'm going to do a good job at it. And, um, we have a mutual friend uh, from Equator, Helen Russell. And so she introduced me to David. So David would come in periodically in the beginning, uh, especially, and help us evaluate our green program. And he was really our green coffee consultant in the beginning. And, and, and he was pretty surprised at your ability to pick up notes and articulate them at your age. And so uh, he was, I would say, a catalyst, certainly, for your interest and kind of this idea that you might want to get your cue. How, what when was that? You were like eleven, maybe. Yeah, probably eleven, probably twelve. Probably twelve. Close to twelve. But Frankie, it, do you remember that cupping? Yeah, I do actually. Well, I I don't know if it was like the second one I did or like the first one, but I just remember one where, um, and it was in. We have had a remodel at Shul since then, so it was in like the old Shul cupping lab, which was also the break room, and we like had the cup set up on a table and um I was like really nervous because I was like oh no like they're gonna judge me if I don't know what I'm doing like but I, I know it was just supposed to be fun but I you know put some pressure on myself like that and then uh, I remember just like tasting it and being like oh this is like so fun like that I get to be with all these adults and 
Um, and I remember just tasting one of the cups and being like, this is really woody. Like, I feel like I taste some wood and they're like, well, it's a great tasting note, Frankie. And then I was like, so proud of myself. So yeah, I just remember that specifically. That's wild. That's wild at 11 that you were able to articulate the term woody. Um, maybe when you're 11, you're closer to an age where maybe like you put your mouth on a tree or something, but, um, (laughs) maybe that's where that comes from, but that's still pretty impressive to be able to make that connection. Um, so you mentioned that at that cupping, that's when Frankie was maybe like people identified like, oh, hey, like Frankie can really taste these notes. At what point did you two decide to take your Q grading exam together? I think it started more like it just started out of curiosity. Uh, we weren't like right after that cupping, we weren't like, oh, let's take the Q together. It was kind of after that. My dad was like, do you like, like, do you genuinely enjoy doing the cuppings and coffee tastings? And I was like, yeah, like, I think it's fun. And it's cool that I like a little bit know what I'm doing. And so we just kind of looked into it. We, we and we talked to David too. We said, um, like, is there an age limit or like, could this be a possible thing for us to do together? And, um, so then that's when we started kind of researching into it. And as we learned more about the queue and about what it kind of entailed, we uh, started to get more excited about it and as like a possible thing for us to do together and a way for us to learn a lot more about coffee just in general. Um, and then, so I feel like it was probably like a month later that we decided to like sign up for the course and started like, uh, started tasting coffees more and kind of preparing for that course. So you two take this course together and you learn some pretty like transformative information during that time right Mm-hmm. so tell me about that um so there were the course was three six days three days of classes and then three days of testing and so the classes consisted of a lot of just general coffee knowledge to tell us about like pr- uh, processing methods producers um about the coffee plant itself um, and then they also had, like, we did tastings, and we'd talk through the tastings and, like, what things to look for for certain scores. Um, and then we also just did, like, did practices of the tests that we would be taking in the last three days. So I think just the majority of the chunk that was just general coffee knowledge was really formative because we learned all about, like, the processing methods, like I said, and just... um things that will help us connect with coffee and actually help you in the tests later. Because then you can think about like, oh, what region is this coffee from? Like what kind of notes would it have? What kind of things, what kind of, you know, defects or um, like in imperfections might be common in this coffee and uh, just things like that. And they went off script a little bit, which was, which was nice just to talk about the supply chain, um, you know, the, the, the farmers and the co-ops and the exporters and the importers and so that was that was also helpful and and that and that's what sort of led us into uh some of this discussion around um the aging population farming population and especially in central and latin america yeah frankie can you speak a little bit to that about uh age and coffee farmers yeah so uh when we were in that coffee course one of the main things they told us was that um, there was a problem in the coffee industry, and that was that um, the average age of a coffee farmer was about 55 or 56, and that was too old, and there weren't enough young people that wanted to take over their parents' or family's business because they didn't see it as a viable career option, and they didn't think they would be able to make enough money. Um, And so then we kind of heard about that, and we were like, that's a problem. We want to 
help get more young people in the coffee industry and then make sure they can also like make enough money for that. So what, so you take this Q grading exam and you learn this information and then I imagine you go home. What do you do with that? Like, how does that kind of ruminate in your head? Well, we, at first we just talked about it a lot um, and about something I remember being at the course and saying, well, that's really interesting. Like there's, we never heard about this, like as coffee consumers and as a coffee roasting company, we had never heard about this issue. Um, but we didn't really have like, like any means to like do anything about it at that point. And I hadn't even gotten my cue yet since I failed the first, <laughs> since I failed one of the cupping. So then I had to, uh, finish it. But we were like, we wanted to do something about it, but we really hadn't formed an idea yet. And then later, uh, we got invited to go on a trip to Colombia to talk to young producers and to talk to young farmers and taste their coffee and see coffee farms. Um, and that kind of just was like a confirmation that we were actually going to do something about it. I would say it was a progression too. So it was more like a just a side comment mm -hmm. in, at, at the queue. And then as once you got your queue, we sort of, I think we connected the dots a bit later on that you would be like a really good person to, to have this conversation because of your age. And so um, it came together, I'd say a little bit later, but like the seed was absolutely planted um, mm -hmm. at, the, at the, probably when we were at the queue. Yeah. It's interesting that you mention that being just not necessarily a throwaway comment, but just something that was mentioned as like, you know, this is a fact about coffee that the average age of coffee farmers is in their mid 50s. And that's going to be a problem because young people aren't taking over farms. But obviously what makes you stand out is that you took that information and you took action. So at what point did Hoven start to really formulate as a concrete idea? Um, I would say that the idea of Hoven formed a little bit before, like before we, we went on our trip to Columbia in November of 2019, we had an idea that we wanted to do something and that something would be like, some form of or like an own line of coffee or something that would support these young farmers specifically. So we went down to Columbia to talk to like a certain co-op that we, that we knew like had a young producers program and um, that kind of, and so we knew about that before we went down, but then like the name for Hoven and like the, the exact like thing, like we're going to have a line and we're going to have only coffees produced by this criteria by ages 35 and younger and they, it has to score 84 and above like that um all came a little later after we had solidified the first uh the first group of young farmers can you like what's your elevator pitch for hoven like when someone asks you what is hoven like what is like the response that you give people uh so i'll usually tell people that hoven is a line of coffee that celebrates and showcases young coffee farmers talent and we we sell coffee from farmers ages 35 and younger to ensure that it's young farmers that are uh, getting the profit from or getting paid for their coffee. And then also we only buy coffees that score 84 or higher to make sure that it is high quality coffee so that the farmers get a good price for their coffee and can make a living off of coffee farming. What is it like when you tell people about Hoven's mission? Because I know for me as a coffee professional, I've read that statistic before that there's a problem in coffee 
with people not taking over farms, that farmers are getting older and older. But as you said, that was new information to you at the Q grading exam. And also, I can't imagine that most consumers know that. So I imagine that part of your mission is almost like a public awareness campaign. Yeah, that's that's a huge part of it because um, most the only people that really know about that statistic in this issue are people already in the coffee industry. Mm-hmm. And even some like roasters don't even know about it. So I think especially like in the US and like on the consumer end, um, it's something that nobody knows about. And it that's mainly part of our goal is to kind of get people aware of the issue and what's happening so that we can get more people interested and more people to buy coffee from us. But then also like other roasters to be like, hey, I want to get in on this issue. I want to help out. I want to start selling coffee from young producers specifically and have that become a more like a bigger thing that people want to support and want to um, just become more a widespread thing that people want to, uh, you know, donate their money to. And yeah. So most people buy coffee. You've mentioned grading. You've mentioned scores. Most people probably buy coffee based on those scores. They cup a coffee, they give it up 84, 85, 86, whatever. They'll make buying decisions that way. What was it like when you first approached the importers that you were working with and said, hey, we actually have kind of a different goal. We want to buy these coffees from young producers that score this amount. Was that a question that they had ever gotten before or had anyone ever asked about young farmers? I think when we went to Columbia and we talked to these co-ops, they gave us the impression that not very many roasters and we were like one of the first roasters that had ever specifically asked for coffee from young farmers and was specifically interested in this issue. And so they were really excited about us being there and were really excited to showcase their coffee. And so I think just to answer that question, yeah, we were like the only people that were really interested in that specific issue. This is a this is a problem they're obviously well aware of. And so they have these programs where they're training young farmers to produce better coffee so they can get better pricing. And that's amazing. But to develop a market in the US, that was like a I yeah, like as Frankie mm-hmm. said, I don't think that um to our knowledge has been a priority for any other roasters up to this yeah, point. Yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good point what you were saying that this is a an issue that many people in producing countries are well aware of and we can certainly treat it from that level from the producing end and encouraging more young people to get into farming on that end but there has to be a market for it as well so I imagine that's where Hoven kind of thinks about not only are we buying these coffees from young farmers but we're also creating a whole new market for them as well exactly exactly that's something that I find really interesting just about your business model in general with uh, Shul and Sparrows is that you have experience in branding things for different audiences. So was that something that felt intuitive or natural for you folks to do? Did it feel natural for you, Frankie? Um, yeah, I mean, I, my goal was always, to just, um, was always just to push the young farmers thing. So I guess it, it felt natural for me to be like, this is my purpose. This is Hoban's purpose. And, um, like if you are somebody who cares about cause-based things or wants to help a certain cause or, you know, secure the future of coffee and make sure you have coffee to drink in the future, then you'll like our product. And I, and I say for me, it, it did feel natural. I think, especially because coffee is segmented in a way that 
you're seeing other coffee companies, really large ones, be very specific in their messaging. So one example I would use is Death Wish, where they 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 have Robusta, and it's highly caffeinated, and that's like the message that they that they push. Now, is that going to speak to me? It no, it won't. But there is a segment of of coffee drinkers that it really does speak to, and they've had great success there. So we're like, how can we use that same sort of segmentation and specific messaging to reach an audience for this purpose? And that's that's really how we thought about it. Yeah, I love that because I think that for a lot of coffee roasters, we kind of focus on a singular message of quality. And not to say that that's bad. That's obviously a good pursuit. But quality involves a lot of buy-in, involves a consumer already having like a base knowledge to understand what quality is, especially when we're facing farm or facing consumers who probably come into coffee shops and are like, I just want a cup of coffee. So <laughs> can we segment people in a way that matters to them. And I can imagine making a decision about coffee as a consumer, if I don't know a lot about coffee and saying like, okay, I don't know the difference between this Ethiopian coffee and this Colombian coffee, but I understand that I want coffee in the future and I want to invest in coffee's future. So I'm going to buy this coffee that supports young farmers. Yeah. What's been really interesting for me um, as what I've seen of like the like consumers of Hoban is that there, it's not all just like people that are really into coffee or that like go to Madcap every day and want like that super high quality coffee. It's a lot of people that like hear about the story and are really interested in it and have never, they always drink like whatever coffee they can get in the morning. But since they heard about Hoven and about the issue that we're like pushing, they have been drinking our coffee and have been like, wow, this is really good. Like I've never had coffee this good before and I've never like appreciated coffee for like what it is and like for the farmers that are producing it. And so I think that's just really cool to see people that have never thought about coffee in this way before be kind of transformed because of Hoban's mission. Right. Like you've almost given people an accessible point for them to engage with your coffee. But then it opens up the door for another experience. They're able to say, oh, I bought this coffee initially because of this, but now... I'm learning so much about how coffee can taste. Like, let me take that next step. Like you're almost bringing in like the next wave of coffee drinkers in a way. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I, I think I think you are. Um, what um, what does it feel like being the spokesperson for this brand? Because I mean, part of the brand is that you are a young person. Do you feel like are you excited to be like that that spokesperson, that front person? Yeah, I I love it. I love being the person that people ask me questions about Hoven. I love being the person that people are like, I'm so ha- I'm like I'm so proud of you and your coffee, and I love your mission so much, and um, I love to be able to share that too because um I've always been like a public speaker. Like I've always liked public speaking and you know doing speeches and talking in front of groups of people and stuff like that. So for me to also use that um, talent that I have to share this message and to kind of talk about what I'm passionate about and make sure that people know about it has been like a really cool experience for me. And I'm really grateful that I have that this opportunity. And yeah, I'm just it's just really exciting for me. I was about to say I was thinking about like when I was 15 and I was like, I don't know if I could do this right now be on a podcast. Um, So that just that just landed for me kind of how 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 well uh, you do public speaking, which is awesome. Um, And it makes sense that that's something that you're passionate about. Um, 
How do you folks talk about the future? Because you obviously do, Hoven, you work with these farmers, but I imagine part of the the business model is always thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that our main goal for the future is to get this awareness of the issue of young farmers out there and to get more consumers interested in it and to also get more roasters to kind of support that issue and start selling coffee from young farmers and to just create this market for this young talent and uh, make that more widespread thing that is like that a lot of consumers know about and that more people want to support and just like we, we're not trying to be selfish and like we're, we want to be the only coffee company that right. sells young farmers coffee and we want that to be like our thing we want like everybody to know about it and for everybody to start supporting it so that we can secure the future of coffee I mean, specifically, we would, along those lines, like to essentially force the hand of more co-ops and and importers to sponsor projects like Mm -hmm. this, because we started out buying, you know, not a small percentage, but a a less than half percentage of this this co-op Cappy Norte's output of their Young Producers program. And Hoven's, I mean, it's not all of it, but it's almost all of it now. So yeah, like, it's like 80% or something. So we need, yeah. So the more that we can do that, the more, the more demand there is for this, I think it's going to be really great when we start to see more of these programs pop up because they know that it will get purchased. Right. And I think what you mentioned too earlier, getting more roasters interested in this project is really, really pivotal too. Um, it seems that you folks think about this issue from a really multifaceted level. We're trying to, yeah. certainly. And and again, as Frankie said earlier, it's we're a business. We want to be successful, of course, and spread the word about um, this issue and, and sell coffee along the way. But I, this that's not really the reason we're doing it. It's not, We're not trying to be this enormous... Hoven's not really designed to be this enormous company. It's it's more designed as like the front runner on the education side. Mm-hmm. And then if it gets larger, that's great. And then if other roasters follow us, that's also great. It's not really about trying to build this one entity into the as big as it can be. It's more about trying to get this issue out there. Right, exactly. Um, what's it like working with each other? Uh, I love it. I mean, to be like... <laughs> To have to for me and my dad to bond over this is uh, a really great thing because I mean he has other things with my siblings too where he can uh, bond with them and spend time with them but for us to have this thing where like we traveled to Colombia together that was super fun and we do cuppings together and to have this thing to connect over especially since like you know he's busy with work I'm busy with school so it's easy for us to not be able to spend any time together. Or just to be like, I'm going to hang out with my friends, you know, like, I'm too busy for you or whatever. Um, It's nice to be like, well, now we're doing this thing together. So we have to spend time together and then we can bond. And uh, I don't know, I just really, I really like it. And, you know, for him to be kind of like my boss or like my mentor, I guess, and like, uh, be really good at cupping and for us to be able to talk through that is just, it's just a a blessing, I'd say. (laughs) Um, but I think it's really cool when you think about like the, I, I'm always really into how people work together. And I think it's really interesting that you're, you're obviously father and daughter and you have this one very specific relationship, but then you have this other way that you two connect with each other. Um, that's totally independent of that, but still is obviously informed by your 
father-daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love it because it's there's only so much detail a teenage girl's going to go into with her dad on like how her day was, you know? And so <laughs> it's like, I'm just being realistic here and, and saying that it's nice to have this additional like stream of content that like we have in common that is helpful for us to, um, or it just facilitates, I guess, more time spent together and it gives us a good excuse to travel together. And it's, it's been selfishly, that's been a really cool part of it. What would you count as some of your biggest successes? Well, I think my biggest success is Hoven for sure, because I, I, it's me being able to take something that I'm good at coffee tasting and uh, being a curator and being able to take that and use it for good and use it to better our world. I think that's just, that's a success for me, even if Hoven doesn't grow as much or we, um, or I, you know, don't end up doing coffee for the rest of my life since I still have a lot of it left. Um, I just think it's already success that we've been able to reach this many people through Hoven and hopefully more. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's my biggest success. What about within Hoven? Are there any particular relationships that you fostered or any coffees that you've sold that you've been like, yeah, like this is cool. I think it's amazing that I was even able to travel to Columbia and meet some of these young farmers that are like their coffees in Hoven and to talk to the people who are like in charge and to see a whole different culture. Um, like I'm, I'd never been to South America before and it was just so cool to like see how people live there and like how coffee was such a huge part of their community. And I'm just so glad that I got that experience to see that. I think that's, that, that's amazing. And, and I would like to go back to Colombia and back to South America and uh, to other countries too that we get coffee from. But I think that trip specifically was just very eye-opening and really, really amazing. I think it was too, just the idea of this value chain from coffee cherry all the way to its end product. Like all we're doing as roasters is like cooking the bean. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was, it was very apparent and this relates to coffee farming in general, not just to young farmers, but it, it's so much work on the front end. I mean, that was the, that was just so eye-opening. Um, I think for you, Frankie, and, and for me, my first time too, uh, to see how much goes into the production and processing and sorting of coffee. By the time we get it, it's in it most, a lot, literally most of the work's been done. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. And I think Something that's come up a lot um, on the podcast with some other guests is the idea of risk and how roasters can take on more risk for farmers. And I think this is one example of that is identifying an issue on a farm and saying, like, we're going to specifically make this a thing that we focus on and we're going to make a market for this and assume not necessarily assume some of the risk, but like, we're going to make, we're going to make the investment worth it. Like, we're going to say, like, we think that this is important and we're going to make um, a funnel for it, essentially. Maybe a funnel is not the right word, but, but you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think to your point, we will forward contract this coffee. So we'll do it before it's done. And so there's, by creating can, a, a, a- Can you explain that a little bit? Just what the idea of forward contracting is? Sure, sure. So yeah, not to be confused with like C-market futures, right? But um, forward con- contracting would just be that we commit to, let's say I want a whole container of this uh, Caffe Norte youth coffee. 
we're, we'll commit to that before it's ever produced. So before the crop is harvested, uh, they know that we are committed to buying a container. And so we sign a, a forward contract with, you know, it's a whatever importer you're kind of working with on that, but that, that would be facilitated typically by the importer. So you'd sign a contract to say, I'm buying uh, X number of 300 some bags of, of this, this particular coffee. Um, and I will take it between this time and this time. And so that's uh, a commitment that we make as a roaster. And then that trickles down to the farmer and they know that they already have a, a source um, for that and, and at a given price. So they, and, and then, it, you know, they have, they ship a pre-sample and we have to approve it. And so they can't, you know, not deliver the quality we're expecting, but at least they know that that coffee is already sold. Yeah. That's something that comes up a little bit throughout the show, which I would love to get more into, um, obviously not at this time, but um, the idea of contracts and how contracts are often formulated and what a contract actually means. Um, something that I've heard from some producers actually also in Colombia was that during COVID-19, um, a lot of people found ways to get out of contracts, um, which is a big deal, which is a big problem. So being able to say like, I'm going to buy this coffee at this price and this is promised or ready before you even produced it is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What would you want people to know about Hoven that maybe gets glossed over or maybe doesn't get talked about as much? Um, I think probably the one thing that we don't like emphasize as much is that like coffee itself is like a very complex drink. And like the fact that and like my dad said the value chain, it's just it has so many steps. And for the farmers at the beginning to do so much of the work, like it's, it makes sense that we need to be able to pay them like a fair price so that they can uh, make a living. And I think that it's also just important for consumers to understand that coffee is like, it is a complex thing and it's not just like fuel in the morning. It's okay if you drink it for fuel or you drink it just to like have a caffeine boost, but also it is, um, it is something that is just more than that and um, that, you know, deserves to maybe understand its nuance a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like you folks are doing this like really, really important and intricate work because you're tackling a really big issue on kind of a broad sense, but also doing it in really, really specific ways and on a multifaceted level. And I wonder, since you're in this work, do you think that in the next five years, like people are going to be trying to catch up? Like, it seems like we seem to know that there are problems with the supply chain of coffee. We know that climate change is an issue. We know that the age of farmers is an issue. It doesn't feel like enough roasters think it's as imminent as it is. Like, what do you think the next five years will look like? Well, if not a lot changes that average age is going to creep up past 60. So, and, and on the climate change thing, I mean, that's so so multifaceted and complex. I I, I like hesitate to even comment because I'm not an expert in that area, but it's... Yeah, yeah. Um, let's just focus on age. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. Yeah, there are not enough... I feel like this is an under... It's an under-talked about issue for sure, it, relative to its importance and significance at origin. And so I do hope, yes, that other roasters will catch up because I think it will become a bigger deal. And it could take five years to 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 it just cross that 
threshold into more a more mainstream understanding of it. I hope it doesn't there, take that long, but it might. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to, obviously, it's hard to predict the future. And all you can do is really try to work to make it better, which is kind of seems like what you folks are doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's our hope is just that, that what we're doing makes a difference and that we can actually raise awareness and be like, hey guys, this is a big deal. This is actually a big deal. And, uh, we would all, we would like you to, you know, join our, join our mission and, and, and help us out. So. And to be honest with you, like we, we should give props to one of our main partners in this trade, um, the coffee subscription company. They, they, they're a huge source of volume for us on, on Sparrows, but Hoven as well. And, and that's one thing we can do. Like we're not really um, putting our full resources yet into, into Hoven, uh, into marketing that. Like we've been focused on some other things and, and certainly we've, we've been putting in that message out there, but there's more we can do on the digital marketing side. And, and so we're in 2022, we're planning to, to push that a little bit harder on our end too. If somebody was listening to this and they were like, yeah, I'm going to go buy some Hoven coffee right now, where would be a good place for them to start on your menu? Um, you can go find all our Hoven offerings at hovencoffee.com. Um, and then you could also follow me on Instagram at kidcugrader or there is a Hoven coffee in- Instagram that's just at Hoven coffee. So. What's your favorite coffee right now? Well, we're about to... So we're about to launch a coffee from Guatemala and uh, it's for with coffee kids um, and it's delicious and I'm very excited about it. Um, and so that's my favorite one right now because it's our new one and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice balanced coffee, a nice everyday drinker. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited about it. Frankie, Tim, thank you. Oh, for taking time. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. No, that's fine. <laughs> We're we just got our um, annual shipment of our Ethiopia Deem Tutero, and that's on the Sparrow side, and that's um, it's tasting ridiculous. So that's been yeah. my, my it's my jam lately. Yeah. Well, thank you both for taking time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. You just listened to a conversation between myself and Frankie and Tim Volkema, the founders of Hoven Coffee. You can find out more by visiting their website, www.hovencoffee.com, following Hoven Coffee on Instagram, or following Frankie at KidQGrader. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. 
Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash boss barista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.